For our scripture tonight, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4, we'll start reading at verse 14 and read through the, not the end of the chapter, but to the end of verse 30. Jesus has been tempted and has commenced his ministry. And Luke sums up his initial ministry in Galilee very, very briefly, and that's where we begin our reading at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three and a half, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath and the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff, but passing through their midst. He went away. Thus far, our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless that word to us. Well, you can see the title of the sermon there, What Jesus Do You Accept? Do you accept Jesus? And you would say, well, that's silly. We're sitting in church here. So, yes, we do accept Jesus. That's why we're here twice. Perhaps, uh, 
Because we love Jesus, we want Jesus, we need Jesus, we worship Jesus, we're pro-Jesus. What a silly question. Except the people in Nazareth were pro-Jesus too, until. They accepted Jesus and wanted Jesus and were thumbs up for Jesus too, until. So it's, an, it's a big question, really. Not so much, do you accept Jesus? Maybe better, what Jesus do you accept? Big question for kids, for young people, even for the elderly who've been in church many, maybe perhaps their whole life. What, what Jesus do you accept? Because there's acceptance and favor, there's rejection and fury. There's loving Jesus, hating Jesus. Not a silly question. The Nazarites, or rather the people of Nazareth, excuse me, were people who were pro-Jesus, anti-Jesus, love Jesus, hate Jesus, welcome Jesus, Preach in the synagogue, Jesus. Throw him off a cliff, Jesus. Which Jesus? Churches that have lost the gospel of Jesus Christ will still try to hold on to Jesus. A moral Jesus. A good example, Jesus. Set an example for us and let's be like him, Jesus. A social cause, Jesus. A be nice to one another, Jesus. And I've known people in even good Orthodox Reformed churches who somehow or another they've imbibed a conception of Jesus that is mostly he sets an example for us. Now you follow in his steps, Jesus. Make me rich, Jesus. Miracle, Jesus. Fix us, Jesus. Take our pain away, Jesus. An emergency, Jesus. Get him out of your wallet when you need him. Put him back in your wallet when you don't, Jesus. All kinds of conceptions. Even amaze us, Jesus. Thrill us, Jesus. Entertain us, Jesus. What Jesus do you accept? Now, when Luke has his opportunity to talk about the ministry of Jesus, rather than go into that initial ministry, he summarizes it very quickly that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. A report went all about him, and he was teaching throughout the surrounding country in their synagogues, and glorified by all, pro-Jesus. He wants to focus in immediately upon the issue that will be at stake wherever Jesus goes and what's at stake even now as we try to live the Christian life in this world and bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. We're ever going to face this kind of set of issues and problems. What's at stake? He came to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up. And it's there we want to learn some basic, simple lessons. And to do that, we're going to just follow what happens in this narrative. So if you're looking for three points, it's real simple. There's Bible or Scripture. And then there's sermon. And then there is response. So what's happening, what will happen here tonight, there's scripture, there's sermon, and then you'll have a response. There's a reply, if you will. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Now, Everyone's praising Jesus. The hometown crowd is praising Jesus. Yeah, everyone knows about Jesus. Thumbs up for Jesus. It's Sabbath. As his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Now, to understand something about synagogue worship, we're told from the Mishnah something of this, which includes different kinds of materials, but also sort of a roughly a kind of church polity. So with, with the synagogue worship in the days in which Jesus participated, there was singing of the Psalms, especially the latter Psalms. And then this would be followed by a recitation of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We say the Apostles' Creed, they said the Shema. After that came the 18 benedictions, which were recited aloud in succession. Next came the reading of Scripture. And they had two readings of Scripture, a reading from the law and a reading from the prophets. They didn't have Bible books like we have them, but they had scrolls that were carefully maintained, and they were kept in a particular chest for that purpose. And so the presider would take out the scroll, and the designated reader would read the law scroll, and a, perhaps a different reader for the prophet scroll uh, would be assigned, and this same person could then, what would proceed next would be the sermon. And in those days, they didn't have a pulpit, but a teacher's chair. That's where a cathedra, ex-cathedra, from the chair. They would speak from the chair, and so when Jesus went to sit down, after he had read the scroll, the Isaiah scroll, all eyes are fixed on him. I used to think as a child, he went and sat down on a bench and everyone's craning their head to see what's going on. But no, he was in the assigned place to teach, to preach. That's why all eyes are fixed on him. Then after the sermon, it would close with the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the people would say, Amen. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen, they would say. Amen. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And that would conclude the service. Now, 
Jesus likely had been asked prior by the presider of the synagogue to read the prophet's scroll and to speak an edifying word accordingly. And so he requested that the scroll of Isaiah be given. And he stood up to read. And we're told, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He has anointed me. Oh sure, there's an anointed one, a Messiah to come. But they're not identifying him as that, as the one who does these things. No, not yet. And the words he reads are a combination from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. But notice there's four categories of need, needy people. The poor, the prisoner, the blind the oppressed. And then we're told he does sit down and rolls up this scroll and so forth and eyes are fixed and fastened on him. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It takes a lot of discernment to grasp the full implications that in your hearing the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Messiah, anointed one. He's anointed with the Spirit. That he's the answer to the poor with good news. That he's the answer to bring freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, release for the oppressed. And God's favor is on the way. A new regime has come. A new kingdom come on the way. It takes a lot of discernment to discern that. But that's what Jesus said. Now, this sermon, it's important to see. Well, let me back up a step. These four categories of people each need a particular blessing. The poor, oh, well, what they need is wealth. No, what they need is the gospel. That's what they need. The prisoner, what they need is simply to get out of prison. Yeah, but there's different kinds of poverty and there's different kinds of imprisonment, isn't there? In fact, when you look at every one of these categories, you can be physically, financially poor. You can also be poverty-stricken in the treasures in heaven department. You can be poor in the manner of poor of spirit and how they need to know God's favor. You can be a prisoner in jail or a prisoner of war. In fact, that's the kind of word used here. But to proclaim freedom for prisoners, you can get out of prison and still be in a life of bondage a life of criminality, a life of sorrow and tears and wreckage. 
we need a bigger release than that. And so the blind, you can be physically blind, and Jesus ministered himself to many who were blind on those terms. But we can be spiritually blind as well, or a combination of both. Paul could see, but he was blind to the truth of the gospel, and then God made him blind so that he could see for a while. And there's oppressed, there's being crushed, life wrecks and ruins and disappoints and makes us cry. It makes us have sleepless nights and we are at our wit's end and what is it good for? Why am I alive? We live in a culture and time in which many people are jaded and hopeless and bitter and simply disappointed and apathetic, oppressed, crushed. To release the oppressed from the oppressor when you say, well, that can be a government, that can be bullies, that can be a business, that can be the devil. The tyranny of the devil. Oppressed. And then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think it's important for us to see those categories and that Jesus was very specific when he wanted to announce himself and to say, New regime, onward, forward, kingdom come and to come, kingdom at hand, thy anointed one is anointed, here he is, the year of the Lord's favor is upon us, not his frown, not his anger, not his punishment, not his displeasure, but the Son of God has arrived in the flesh. To bring us forward into kingdom come. That's what he chooses to read. And it's about that that he says. It's fulfilled in your hearing. Well that sounds good doesn't it? The people certainly thought it did. They, he, he does that. And, and all spoke well of him. They marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. Nice Jesus, lovely Jesus, console us Jesus, assure us Jesus. I like that Jesus. This speaking happy words of a better time, Jesus. Yes to you, Jesus. Spoke well of him, marveled at the gracious words coming from the mouth of that Jesus. And yet, that's Joseph's son, right? We know you, Jesus. We remember you, Jesus. You had a runny nose. And your face wasn't always as clean as your mother should have kept it. We remember you. That, Jesus. You're one of us, Jesus. You're like us, Jesus. Yeah, okay. Yes, Jesus, but... You're just this, Jesus. It's easy for people in the church to be pro-Jesus and doubt Jesus. 
I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, but he won't come through for me, will you, Jesus? You're not there when I really need you, are you, Jesus? Are you, Jesus? Nice, Jesus. You set a good example, Jesus. But will I entrust my life to you, Jesus? Are you really for me, Jesus? I don't know, Jesus. Are you? It's so important that from this exhilaration they have, this marveling, there's also a tempering. Isn't this Joseph's son? And that's what provokes from him, from scripture reading as sermon commences, um, that's what provokes from him. Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Now what might that mean? You go see the doctor. Hey, man, you need to lose weight. And uh, what, what do you, what, give me an idea of your diet. Uh, you got to cut that out. And uh, what's your exercise regimen? Uh, well, you need to start one. Maybe you need to join a gym or something. And what about you, Doc? You're fat, too. <laughs> and didn't you used to smoke? And don't you still smell like cigarettes? And... Do you, do you, it's like a doctor once said to me, I saw you jogging, stop that jogging stuff, that'll kill you. He actually, that's what he said. <laughs> you gotta stop that, it's bad for you. So you could say to the doctor, physician, heal yourself. Who are you to talk? What are you talking about? You can't preach to me, you're Joseph's son. You're just one of us. What's going on with this? I mean, nice Jesus, pro-Jesus. We, we welcome you, Jesus, but anointed one? And that the reading of this is fulfilled in our hearing that you're the solution to the poor and the imprisoned and the blind and the oppressed. You're that, you're Joseph's son. What Jesus do you accept? I got these problems. Oh, yeah, you're great for forgiving us of our sins. I won't argue with that one. But what about this struggle and problem and pain in my life? Are you that? Are you good for that, Jesus? I need that, Jesus. I want that, Jesus. I'll accept this, Jesus, but I need that, Jesus. Very easy for people to do that. Or they get very uncomfortable with the full implications of the gospel, what it is to love neighbor as self. And that he that Jesus owns our whole life. And we get uncomfortable with the Jesus who has such claims and we want to trim him down to size and block him out and hem him in and fence him off. So he's a nice Jesus. Fix us, Jesus. Set an example for us, Jesus. Of course he does, but then you reduce him to that. And then the Christian life is not loving your neighbor as yourself, 
but living better than your neighbor and being proud about it and conceited about it. That's the Jesus I follow. We're the better than them, Jesus, and Jesus followers. Very dangerous thing to reduce Jesus to being Joseph's son. Yes, but he's God's son. That's the part where they're pushing back, pushing away. Physician, heal yourself. Deal with your own backyard. Deal with your own family. You got brothers around here. They're not so perfect. We know you. And that's why Jesus continues when he says, what you have heard I did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown, miracle worker of Capernaum. All right, Jesus, today the scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. Well, let us see some proof. Let us see some signs. Let us see some miracles. Impress us. Convince us. Prove it to us. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I always find it interesting. Young seminarians eventually have to preach in their hometown. <laughs> Here you are. We remember you. I remember you in catechism class. You didn't have the right answers. You weren't the best student. In fact, in high school, you were a mess. And we're never going to let you forgive it. forget it. And that's sometimes true. They were a mess. But you see, God cleans up messes, heals what's broken, resurrects from the dead, makes new what was dead and astray, forgives what is messy and scandalous. But to hometown folks like this, no prophet is with any honor or acceptance. We know you, Jesus. You're Joseph, Jesus not Son of God, Jesus. Prove it to us that you're anointed one to do these kinds of things and fulfill this kind of scripture. Show us, Jesus. I guess they were all from Missouri, right? The show me, Steve. Show us. Now, we see then their admiration becomes a kind of cynicism. And their acceptance becomes kind of a rejection. And their favor soon will become a kind of fury. Jesus preaches to them. We get to the illustration, the scriptural illustration stage of his sermon here. Because he says this next, In truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow. What's his point? Well, this takes place. You can read about it in 1 Kings 17. 
Here you have a curse that comes upon the land. Neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And Elijah finds himself in this drought-stricken, rain-stricken. No dew nor rain. This is, this is serious stuff. A parched land, parched people because of their pinched hearts. And he doesn't go to a widow of promised land, but outside of it. He doesn't go to one of God's own, but to a woman he finds gathering sticks for herself and her son for one last meal, one last fire with a little bit of flour and oil to have to eat and then die. But Elijah says to this woman, don't be afraid. You go home and you do as you said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. And bring it to me, and then make for yourself and one for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. A starving woman obeys Elijah at his word. Simply obeys what he tells her to do. If she had been like the people of Nazareth, prove it first. Show me first. Get, bear your credentials first. You know, you're just a starving man like me. Why should I listen to you? But she listened to God's prophet. This Gentile woman gave her last meal to him. And the only way she would know God and his power of faithfulness is by walking with God, by his word. That's how it works. Show me God and then I'll decide if you're worthy to be trusted. No, I follow you, Lord, because you're Lord. And my life is in your hands. Now, it's very evident that the people of Nazareth do not count themselves with such a widow. Yeah, she's a widow. No future, no husband, no income, no prospects, and she's burdened with a child. She's weak and small and needy and dependent. But we're not. We got life by the tail. We're paid up. We're insured. We, we're stocked up. We're, we're checked out and checked up. And if everything's taken away, then I'll depend upon you. Then I'll ask for help. Then I'll look for guidance. It's great that the one anointed with the Spirit of God will help the poor, but okay. We're oppressed, but not that bad. We're not in prison, and we're not blind. We're seeing just fine. But if I happen to need that, I'll call on you. Jesus offers another illustration. If they were insulted by the widow's story, all the more by the next example, they grow more angry because then he says, and 
he, he follows that with this. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed. But only who? Naaman the Syrian. Now, that's an interesting story, too. You can read about that one in 2 Kings 5. Naaman has this, this problem. He, he has le leprosy. And Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. So he's a foreigner, and he's a potential threat to the, the political life and well-being of Israel. But he's told about a prophet who can help him, Elisha. And so he, the king of Syria sends him there for a cure. Meanwhile, the Israelite king looks at this. Who's coming into my land? But then he's reassured, no, no, it's, it's all right. Let Naaman come to me. So he's sent to Elisha. And upon arrival, Elisha honors this high commander by sending one of his lowly servants out to tell him to go wash in the Jordan. Well, he's not, he's not happy about that reception, okay? You know, he, he's an important man, and he expected something uh, big. Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be cleansed. And we're told he went away angry. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And he refers to the rivers of Damascus as being better rivers than they have in Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he goes off in a rage. But his servants kind of instruct him, hey, you know, what are you so upset if he told you to do something hard, some magnificent thing, you would have done it. Why not a humble thing? What do you got to lose, basically? And so he comes to his mind and he does what he's told, and he's cleansed. The reply to that is they stop the worship service. They rise up in wrath. So this is the moment, if you have enough collective wrath, you can rise up and drive me off the steps or something. But that they, they, they forget the blessings, forget the remainder. No! Did you hear what he just said and implied about us? That God's grace didn't turn to the covenant people, the better people, the more deserving people, the apple of God's eye people, the ones with the law and the prophets and the history and the kingdom and, the, and all the heritage. God's blessing was turned to a lowly widow outside Israel and a nasty Syrian commander, pagan nobody. What? They'd heard enough. Because they didn't count themselves as poor and blind and captive and oppressed. And they didn't appreciate being told they needed to be like that. 
to receive the kind of blessings that come with the day this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They couldn't accept a Jesus who's the anointed one of God who comes to do for those sorts of people. You see, grace should be measured on a curve and the smartest get the best. The most talented get the best. The most godly get the best. That Israel must have been great among the nations and better than the rest to be chosen as his people. In fact, the scripture says the opposite. You were a nothing, nobody nation. You weren't even a nation. I had to make you a nation that you would be a nation. I started from Abram of Ur of the Chaldees. I started from zero, from scratch, to make a people for myself. And you're stubborn and stiff-necked and difficult and unbelieving. And you only learn anything the hard way. Jesus cuts through their comfortable religious facade and they try to end him, even if it's on the Sabbath day. <laughs> They'll hurl stones and do whatever's needed to finish this guy. And of course, we're told, but passing through their midst, he went away. Yes, it wasn't his hour. But it is the time for us to heed what this scripture tells us, told them, that they would have ears to hear and hearts to humbly receive. Because yes, there's physical poverty, but there's a spiritual impoverishment that we all need a good message for. When we're running away from God and chasing idols, we can have bank accounts full of money, and that might be the idol. We can, but we're, we're poverty-stricken. And it's only in being poor in spirit, Lord, help me, even with my wealth, that I can receive a good message of your favor. There's people who have never been to prison and never will, likely, in their life, but the devil has them in chains. They're addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to sex, addicted to the internet, addicted to entertainment, addicted to shopping, addicted to things, addicted to coveting. They're imprisoned. And they need release. We need release. And Jesus comes to bring it. There's people who aren't physically blind, but they're blind to the truth, blind to how life works, blind of a wise, good choice. They're blind to the right sort of partner to pick and share their life with. They're, they're blind to the healing power of the gospel. And these are the people who, what do they need? They need to recover sight, to see they need to see Jesus as Messiah, as anointed one, as way, truth, life, as answer, as hope, as future, as Savior, as King, as Lord, the lover of my soul. They need to see. 
and there are people who are crushed and oppressed, and life will crush and oppress. The devil is an oppressor, a tyrant, a bully, and he would destroy us. He'd make us unhappy. He would keep us blind, naively chasing after that which can't bring joy. And Jesus comes to bring liberty to such people crushed. And you work with some of these kind of people. You know people. You might have people in your extended family whose life is just unraveled. It's broken. And it needs liberation and release. It needs liberty from God. This is real life stuff Jesus is talking about. Because there's real life hurts and real life burdens. And now fulfilled upon his day of reading that scripture, it's here, it's on the way. It's part of the message we bring to a world that's poor and imprisoned and blind and oppressed. And it's a message that many receive, but I'm not poor, I'm not blind, I'm not oppressed, I'm, I'm not that. So give me a nice Jesus. A fix us up Jesus. Give us a cheer us on Jesus. Cheer us up Jesus. I'll accept that Jesus. But a Jesus on a cross for my sins, a humiliated Jesus, a broken Jesus, a damned Jesus for me. That's a bit much, isn't it? You see what Jesus is saying? If we are swollen with pride, then the grace turns to where the humble will receive. Where we're swollen with pride, he'll turn his mercy to those who seem not my people, not wanted, not loved, and make them my people, wanted, loved. And that's what our gospel message is to the world. Estranged from God, but be reconciled. Not in, but you can come in. On the outs, but welcome. Broken sinner, but healed sinner. This is what we all need. We don't need a, G a Jesus who loves us because we're better than other people. We need a Jesus who loves us because he sees right through us and we're as bad as other people. He sees us in scandalous sins and church sins and nice spiritual sins in our spirituality. He sees those sins too. And it needs just as much the blood of Jesus. And it needs our heart saying, I'm blind, and I'm poor, and I'm imprisoned, and I'm oppressed. Help me, Jesus. And he does. He comes to us that we might, by his grace, come to him. This is very different than the American make-me-rich Jesus. Give me big grins, Jesus. Give me a good American dream life, Jesus. And cheer us on, cheer us up, and 
hurrah for you, Jesus. How about take up a cross and follow me, that Jesus? How about deny yourself? How about you confess all your addictions and failings, all your covetousness, all your hate and bitterness and unforgiveness, and all those things so well hidden from everyone else, but they've never been hidden from God. How about we come to Jesus afresh? I need that, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Savior, Jesus. Broken. Your blood shed for me, Jesus. Lord, Jesus. Come to me, Jesus. I need good news. I need to be set free. I need to receive sight. I need liberation from my bondage and oppression. Here it is. No, we don't throw him off the cliff or attempt to do so. They finally crucified him, but he gave his life that he could lift us up from every cliff, from every pit, from every sorrow, from every accursedness. Praise his name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your love and kindness. We offer you ourselves. May we offer you our hearts and praise you with our lives because we've given new life, true life in him. For Jesus' sake, amen.